Hello everyone and welcome to a new episode of Software Crafts Podcast. My name is João and I'm your host. Today with us we have Trond. Trond is an IT architect, an aspiring social technical system designer from the consultancy firm Scienty.no and has many years uh, of experience with large, complex and business critical systems, primarily as a developer and architect on middleware and backend applications. His main interests are service-oriented, domain-driven design, event-driven architecture and social technical systems working in industries like telecom, media, TV and the public sector. He has a mantra, great products emerge from collaborative sense-making and design. Welcome, Tron, and thanks for your time to be with us today. Oh, thank you very much for having me. It's an honor, a pleasure. Thanks, thanks. This will be a fun episode. And to kickstart it, uh, the heuristic for today is complex systems evolve out of simple systems that worked. Given that you do sense-making and see collaboration, how do you see this heuristic playing in our field? Oh, this is uh, this is a good uh, a classic. Uh, I guess it's a it's a version of Gold's law, I suppose, um, which is the system. So we're back to system thinking, which has been a, a sort of key interest of mine for the last few years. And I see that that is sort of that's a perspective that often we forget that we we have to sort of, we forget the holistic approach that we look at when we work, especially when we work as developers. You work down in down near the system somewhere in, in somewhere in, down in the basement somewhere and you forgot to you sort of don't see the whole thing the whole picture so uh, you end up making probably local optimizations that probably that could potentially hurt the whole thing so the whole system thing thinking is really interesting um so that's why I've, as i said i've been looking into it the last few years and also why i claim to be an aspiring social technical system designer <laughs> i try to be yeah. <laughs> yes, indeed, which is a good goal, I will say. And uh, Yeah, I think it's going to be a life goal, probably. Never going to. It is, people, yeah. right? And um, related to what yeah. you said, it's it's um, we have a running joke between some friends on IT that is the famous POC, that rich production. Mm. Uh, and it's your, I think that is your uh, system done by in the basement, right? Yeah, yeah, certainly, exactly. And also, uh, I um, I had to look up before when you gave me that, that sort of that little heads up about that the heuristic is that um, when I looked at the John Gould's law, I looked into the details because th this is from his system system Bible book, uh, which original oh, that's that's the third edition I think. The original edition was called uh, what was that? The General Systematics. Yes. And that was actually a bit of a pun on something I called general semantics at, at the time. This is uh, 70 something. And I, an interesting aspect of, of uh, semantics was that they assumed that every problem in a, in, in, in a system, a complex system, was lack of communication. So that was the semantic part. So he sort of, that's sort of tongue in cheek saying that, oh, there's more to this than just communication. The system is actually a thing of its own. And that is the thing that I think we sort of tend to forget. So when I had the mantra, I said, we communicate, then we can solve a lot of problems, but not all. There's aspects there that we need to consider that are systemic. Mm. Okay, and, and, and before we are going there, so you, you are a developer and you are an architect. Yep. How do you do with your developer head uh, to, 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 to have a, or try to have an holistic view of the system or at least 
the things that near hmm. your part. That's interesting because I have I have actually struggled with that as a developer to get that holistic view because you often are stuck in the details and not just any detail, it's the minor details. So you're doing so detailed design. Uh, I mean, I I agree with with the sort of the uh, the perspective that code is design. Uh, what you would the product that is produced is actually produced by the compiler. So when you're writing code, you're you're doing detailed design, and when you're into those details, it's really hard to get that full picture. So I force myself out of that sort of bubble, if you like. Um, and that's why I've sort of come come uh, come into techniques like user story mapping, which I've used, event storming, less like you know well. Um, uh, impact mapping and all that, those sort of mapping techniques that are by many regarded as sort of a, a fluff thing uh, for some hard coders that don't want to talk, they just want to code. So you have to force yourself out of that bubble. Um, and I took, I have taken that even further. I see that, uh, as probably Nick June has mentioned a lot too, that we need a business perspective as well. That's domain doing design, basically also say. But you have to force yourself into that perspective. And uh, tools are good for that. So uh, I use, as I said, story mapping, but also like looking at uh, business business capabilities, which even higher uh, perspective than that. This is almost business level. They've been business architecture. So um, it is hard. And I've found that combining uh, being a developer and architect, especially in large projects or large uh, systems, is tricky because you have to balance that levels. Um, so I am very much aligned with, I think it's Gregory Hopi, who has this uh, architecture elevator that he talks about. So at the moment, I'm not actually in the basement. I'm at the middle level, sort of. Uh, but I want, I want to take the elevator all the way up at some point so, and then go down again. So I have to take right, right the elevator as a crazy guy. Yeah, and, it, and it's very interesting, right? Because um, last year... Two years ago, you had your workshop about mm -hmm. uh, the old business uh, business capability model at the, the, the Europe, yep. right? Uh, yeah, uh, actually, uh, I had uh, I had a, had a workshop on uh, on this store map in there, but I was participating in a workshop that I think Sophie uh, Herendi had. Uh, but I think I think she had that on domain driven design Europe, but she also did it at Kadinsky. That's where I joined her. Um, so I haven't done that workshop myself, but I, I've been thinking about it. But it's a tricky to, to set it up properly because, as I said, you have to have that business perspective. And, and for a short workshop, it's hard to get that in that time frame. Um, so maybe a full day one would be interesting to sort of kick off the whole first day. So, so get into our domain, understand the domain, see the, see the whole thing, and then starting breaking it down into capabilities. Um, but a two-hour two -hour workshop, I haven't figured out a way to do that properly. So Sophia is better at it. So, Well, let's see what uh, the community comes up, because this is a very yeah. interesting topic, because um, if we think about the, the architecture elevator pitch, right, and if we go to, to the C-level where you need mm -hmm. to talk about options, you shouldn't talk about even strategy, you should talk about options. Oh. Uh, those business capabilities mm -hmm. are very important, right? Yeah, and I and I feel that that's the language that they really understand. Uh, I have tried domain-driven design concepts like core domains, talking about domains. I have tried even bound context that I figured quickly that that was a failure. You shouldn't go into those details. 
but just talking about domains and, and subdomains, it, it, they, they kind of relates to that, relate to that. They can understand, but domain is such a fluffy by design, actually a topic that it's hard to pin it down. So you have to use examples all the time. That's why I find that using capabilities is actually easier because they understand, okay, we need to sell services. We need to provide customer service. We need to uh, ship, uh, ship products. I mean, when you use those terms, it's become obvious to them what, what, what you're talking about. And then you speak in their language. Yeah, I, I find can, that easier. Yep, I can, mm. I can relate to that. I even had a, a recent experience where um, we were talking about the three horizons and helping a company to, to understand where they need to invest. And the interesting mm. experience was that uh, the CFO came out that, okay, so if we want to go to Horizon 3, I need to have even different skills uh, within mm. the teams. Exactly. So mm. you are a aspiring social technical system designer. Yeah. <laughs> How this plays out <laughs> in your head, if we take the... Uh, my, uh, so... Yeah, so uh, so system in general, I've sort of alluded to that. But social technical, is, it's a way of looking at systems, but including explicitly the social part. So uh, for me, I've, I've sort of, uh, I, I, I love reading papers. So I read the Trist papers, for example, from uh, which was originating, uh, which, order, uh, which was the uh, origin of, of, of the social technical systems term, SDS. Uh, where they actually looked uh, at how a change in the minds of the post-war England affected how the workers uh, felt and behaved. So they they went from from one way of doing the, the excavation to another, which was more in, industrialized, and that changed. That change affected the uh, the workers in a very negative way. Not only how they interacted, but how they felt and how their life were, how their partners, how how their families, and uh, sort of they had a large effect on the whole thing. So they noticed that you can't change one dial, technical, techno thing. You have to, you have to change this in, in, in concept. So you have to look at the whole again. You have to, you can't just optimize for one part of a system. You have to look at the whole system as a whole and then see how would this to change this part? How would that uh, affect the other parts and then the whole? So that's why I think a social technique is so important. You can't say, for example, if you want to do a reorg, you can't just do that without thinking, how would this, this affect your technical systems? Conway, for example. How would, how would your, your products look like if you, re, if you reorganize, for example? Yeah. Exactly. Or, uh, or on the other side, let's move to the cloud, right? Let's uh, get out mm, of our yeah. data center and just move to the cloud and open yeah. that gigantic portfolio of new computing <laughs> models, what's going to happen, right? Like, it's very, yeah, very yeah, interesting. Yeah, it's, it's, uh, mm-hmm. you, you open up, open up a door to, uh, to sort of, a, it's a Pandora's box, really. You have to consider the effect of doing that. And I think we don't do that too often. We, uh, we are in love with technologies and serverless is like, yes, this is so cool. But uh, we have to consider all the things. All the aspects, at least the more major one, as for example, how developers feel like, how the customers is going to react to this, how it's going to, how the product is going to look like if you do this, and yeah, everything. And when you say, just mm. to be explicit, right? When you say we don't look, is we as an industry, or is a specific segment inside of our industry that doesn't yeah. look to these details? Yeah, I'm probably when I say we, I probably use some more of colloquial we, but I, I, I think it's more like us and IT 
tea, to be honest. Uh, I wish I could say we as an industry, uh, but unfortunately, wherever I worked, I've been stuck in the IT department. So uh, I know I know there's a lot of talk about oh, we why do we talk about business IT alignment these days? Isn't that old school? Isn't that obvious? Isn't that something that everybody does? But no, I haven't seen that actually work in the companies I've been to. You have an IT department that's cost center, and you have the business and the sales and all that. That's an investment area, right? So we so we get some money when we when they have some uh, when they have some development they want to do when they want to develop something new, but otherwise it's it's like save 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 money on IT. So um, yeah, so we unfortunately I'm talking about IT. Yeah, cool. Just to to, mm. to be explicit, because yeah. I had the, the luxury before I I joined consultancy to work in a company that well we were just a digital company, and we have digital mm. capabilities. Although we had an IT department from a hierarchy point of view, there was not even a CTO or something like that. We were organizing domains, hmm. go and fix the problem. And uh, there are some oh, base rules. Nice. Uh, for instance, we had a cloud platform. You cannot yeah. go to a different one because... But it uh, was very fun to work because you solve domain problems. And uh, yeah, exactly. off you go. Hmm. Well, actually, when I say most, I, so that doesn't mean all. I've been to one company in Norway that is actually regarded as a for a forerunner on a new way of working. Both they were started with microservices before they was called microservices. So they start with micro frontends before they were called that. Um, and they and they were, but they were purely an IT company, not an, but they were a technology company. They were doing classified ads uh, online, classified ads, and and so that. The whole business model is around building good IT systems. So then you get a different structure to the company. While in other like uh, uh, large enterprises I worked in, which is old old companies, they probably used to run a lot before without IT at all. So the first IT they did was getting computers, uh, getting some mainframes and doing auto, some automation, but there was very little IT. IT wasn't their core business at all. So so that's why. It, the sort of IT department was kind of makes sense and they want to save as much cost as they can. Uh, automation is sort of like that. You want to automate something, but you want to do it as cheaply as possible. You want to replace people, for example, and lower cost. So uh, so that's, a, that's an important differentiator between digitization and digital transformation. Uh, I know both words are kind of hip and scary, but uh, there is a distinct dif- difference. If you're putting power to paper or you want to create a new business model which is the latter which is which is very interesting right because even even in the case uh, and i'm going to challenge you and and provoke you in several different ways so even in the case of the the okay let's automate some processes and this workflow type of stuff that is what we see see in the, the, the enterprises is workflow type of stuff process Mm-hmm. It's happened what I so called the, the the what machine uh, paradox that because we automate mm. we don't fire that people we're gonna find yeah. something else for that people to do right and mm-hmm. that is when digitization versus digital transformation happens because someone might have an idea and you have a pool of resources and a pool of people right money that you can save to apply somewhere else mm. do you see the things like mm. that or oh you? yeah uh, it's uh, I don't know. Uh, is that what they refer to as the inventor's dilemma or something? That you sort of you are stuck with something that you have, 
and it has to it has to run and you have to save money on it and and you know so you earn a lot of money on it uh, and you want to automate it to sort of lower the cost but that means you need a lot of people to do that and as you said you usually don't fire people to give them new jobs and maybe they run the machine okay you're creating a machine if you like but they have to run it they have to control it they have to uh consolidation and all that so they find always always new jobs that they, that that's, that that's people can do and then sort of how can you move on from that how can you get out of that trap i think it's builder's trap maybe that's what melissa paris calls it so uh, in all of the enterprises i've been to they have struggled with that that's the big thing and i see that more and more it's hitting them hard at the moment um even these sort of old monopolies, uh, for example, in telecom and public sector, they are not used to competition, really, because the, the competitors were small and didn't really care. But now they notice that there are changes here, so they have to figure this balance somehow. Uh, and uh, I, I understand this is hard, so uh, I have no easy solution to it. And maybe maybe there isn't. That's the systemic effect of it. So There are a few things there, so... Um one, I will have the, the challenge later, but my feeling and my observation on the industry, uh, and namely about IT departments, right, is that before mm. your technology was buying, you know, the, the telephone switch all days, right? And then, okay, yeah. you just change your locks. So the pace of technology mm. was really, really slow, how that progressed in your company. Yep. But technology was always there. Mm -hmm. In the moment that we have this yep. thing called software that is it's not tangible, we cannot touch it, but it's around mm. us where the speed increases thousands or millions of times is what I feel when the companies start to struggle. They try to put mm. in the old model, oh, go and acquire some yep. IT for me. But we are talking mm -hmm. about software that you can acquire licenses, but you cannot yep. touch it, right? Mm. Exactly. Uh, there is actually an interesting discussion going on here now, and now for a new. Um, they want to acquire. Uh, uh, sorry, they want to create a new health support system, IT system for all the all the workers around uh, in the country. Uh, so doctors and health officials, everybody, but not the patient, but the sort of the the doctors, if you like. Uh, and they sort of and they uh, normally in public sector they're used to running these huge projects because that's how they did it before as you mentioned right there's a huge investment and they, they sort of have to cover everything and they have to get the money and all that so so they have this billions and billions and billions of, of, uh, of uh, dollars if you even if you like uh, to get this thing running so they don't even think about how they could do it the other way around because it doesn't make sense to them because they are stuck in the the old we have to purchase something big and we have to make it run and make it cheap and then, right? So it's a huge upfront investment all the time. So, but the software, as you said, is manageable. You can you can start small and you can build it gradually. As the heuristic says, uh, building that huge thing, as they probably envisioned, somebody uh, higher up in the envisioned that they, they, they would build, it, it guarantee it won't work as suspected. That's what the John Gold's law say, right? It, uh, any system of a certain size and complexity will never work completely. There will always be a failure in it, always, because they are pushed to the, to the limit. That's by design, they're pushed to the limit. Because you wouldn't buy a system and not use it properly, and you want to maximize it, right? So it's running on full speed and full maximum uh, power, and then it's always in the balance of breaking. So I think it's an interesting heuristic is that a complex system is always on the brink of complete and utter failure. 
it that is, is. That's an interesting perspective on the whole thing. Yeah, it is, and and this was by luck. But the the the, the previous guest Edzo, we also was mm. talking about that, right? We were even talking about Knevin, and most of our problems are on complicated space. But the problem yeah. is, as we add more nodes, and rather than a system, mm. we start to have a system of systems. Then we bounce back to complex, <laughs> and then is when yes. chaos happen, right? <laughs> Because yeah, things exactly. break. <laughs> exactly. Right? Yeah, yeah. And and oh, and even that we we think when they're complicated, and we try to constrain it even more, and then we try to then probably move it into what is called clear now or something simple, clear. and then you fall over to the chaotic one. Uh, I've seen that. <laughs> Exactly. Time and time and again. And, and, yeah. and that is because back in the day, right, when internet was born, that is the picture of actually the old internet that are like eight computers in the US connecting to universities. Yeah. And we still think <laughs> that we can tackle internet, right? This, yeah. this type of stuff. Yeah, I, probably some, some people still have that picture in their head when they're looking at the internet. Oh, it's just a few notes here and there and there's some lights popping back and forth and that's it. <laughs> yeah. So, uh, and yeah, talking about this space, right, and complexity, you also talk about your mantra. And I'm looking to your mantra: great yeah. products emerge from collaborative sense making and design. How you, as mm. an architect, do collaborative sense making? Yeah, uh, I as, as I mentioned earlier, I want to go wide before I go deep. Um, and that's just something that I, I haven't always been like that. I've, I've loved, I love to think with the small details. I can go, we get really preoccupied with the minute, tiniest thing because it's interest me to figure it out how to solve it. So I need, I need to find tools that help me to get out of that. As I mentioned, that bubble. So when I get into a large project and I want to do architecting, I want to understand why are they doing this? What, why, and why, what? Uh, what's going on and for me there's two perspectives um, there is the business perspective and the user perspective often I wish or at least or always I wish that was the same but normally it's not like the business has uh, they want to earn money they want to provide uh, 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 funds for their investors or like scarce, scarce shareholder value and all that and the users are sort of or the customers are sort of stuck, stuck with what they get somehow And uh, of course, I wish you could merge these, but at the moment, at least the companies I'm in, I have to balance those two myself. So the business capabilities is the business aspects or business models, and the user story mapping is for me to put myself in the head of the user. So I think I spend more time there actually than in the business. Um, so this is part of a, a part of a, a not a dramatic thing to say, but I think it's going to ruffle some feathers, is that I feel domain-driven design has too much focus on the business side. Uh, I'm not saying that we're losing in the user uh, aspect. Maybe we have this idealistic view that business and user are the same, or customer are the same, but often, as I said, they're not. So I think focusing too much on the domain and domain expert, we can lose the, the user perspective too easily. So uh, I go for story mapping or something similar as soon as I can. And get the business doing that as well because they also need to. Yeah, and it's a, it's a very interesting one. I hope that Nick is listening to us, right? The DDD Eminem. So uh, yeah, let's can, can tell us something. Yeah, yeah, he's exactly. <laughs> But uh, at the same time, what I'm being experiment and doing more and more lately for those problems is using worldly mapping, especially with the uh, yeah. high rankings in the company. 
because we talk about mm. the famous user needs. And I explained yeah. to them when I explained the effect of, of um, the, 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 the Netflix, right, that they just disrupt uh, the business. Um, mm. They didn't create new needs. My need is to watch a movie and <laughs> shut down for two hours. The yeah. way that that movie is delivered back in the day was v, v, VHS and Betamax, and, and I explain how things died, but then at the same time I explain from VHS and then the internet evolved and network evolved. I get the same thing, and that really clicks with them. Okay, the needs are the same, right? We don't know hmm. do as Henry Ford did. I don't ask people because they will tell me that they want faster horses, but actually hmm. people don't want faster horses. People want to move from A to B. Right, that is the real yeah, user. Exactly. And that actually is mm -hmm. working very well because even with some companies, they discover that perhaps they don't know the user needs. Did mm. you encounter this when you do user story mapping that there are lots of ambiguity and, and question marks? I wish I could say, no, they all get it. <laughs> no, they don't. <laughs> That's actually, I haven't, I have yet seen uh, a business person or a business manager or whatever actually take that into the uh, proper take that on board. Um, no, uh, what I've seen is, oh, they have some UX people over there. Let's call them in. Let them help us a little bit. And then, okay, we agree. Yeah, 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 okay, fine. Go away now. We can take it from here. So it's sort of, they want to control the thing, but I, they really, they still think in business terms. They still think in how can we, say to lower the cost, earn more money, uh, yeah, like all that, that, that stuff. So uh, actually introducing story mapping was a bit, bit of a surprise for me um, because the business didn't know of it. Even the UX people didn't know of it. So uh, the only people who knew it was actually us that worked in the teams that have sort of um, come, have, have been forced into using stories, right? Stores in Jira. We all, we've all been there, right? It's just a new way of writing requirements, right? That's how we do stories in here. Yes. So uh, some of us have thought, oh, maybe there's some more to this. Why is it called stories? And some of us, as old as I have, um, had worked with XP back in the day and started with Scrum early on. So I, I knew that stories were some, there was just a, just a way of communication. It was a way of communicating what the user wanted, what their needs were, right? So it was a big surprise to me that so few actually knew of this way of thinking. They And you have to even force them a bit to think in this way because they're used to just, oh, can't I just write the requirements and then be done with it? Right? Yeah. That's how the business people often think, I find. Yeah, and that's, I find that goes against our nature, right? Because as humans, oh. we like to tell stories. Even before we have yeah. language, we wrote mm. on caves right to tell a story i know right and uh, it's hmm. impressive and, how uh, we forget about that yeah and i use the exact same argument it's like uh, story shouldn't be that weird thing it, uh, it it is something that we always do when you tell jokes you tell a story when you talk to your kids you tell stories so what why, why is this different why is sort of when you come to business so suddenly you have to be requirements why? But uh, yeah, but I guess that's how we've all been sort of brought up to think. I, I don't know. Maybe we lost our uh, curiosity at some point. I don't. It's it's, it's odd that we that, that we think of stories as something abstract, but it's not. We use it all the time. It's I mean, we are telling stories now. Exactly, we are sharing stories, and um, yes. such a very important point. We lose curiosity. 
Do you think that we point yeah. our curiosity to the right spot? Because as an IT industry, we look to the next shiny thing, mm. but uh, which yeah. means that we have curiosity. Do we have curiosity or Yeah, spot? we have, but it's... <laughs> I guess I, if I uh, you on, you onto something a quite important topic I think because I've seen that a lot and I struggle with figuring out how to change people's minds here because uh, m I wouldn't say all developers but many developers enjoy as we said tinkering with tech right so they just want to uh, just tell me what to create for you and I, I create the most marvelous little thing for you even if it's a rule engine or whatever but just the most marvelous thing but don't give me all this story fluffy thing and user needs and all that. So there might be a, sh we might need some sh change in our industry as IT people though as well, because we are not sure if it's common. Uh, I don't think it is that common that uh, developers think in this way. Um, and I think we should. Yeah, I have in my head. So most of my interest mm -hmm. now lies with the executives and, and C-level and now organizations can change and one mm. idea that i have is that what if we have you know the, the 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 programs when someone joins the company to learn how to tell stories to learn all of this stuff that no one teaches mm. you but will be really nope. really helpful mm. so uh, let's hope that the uh, agile coaches can save us <laughs> yeah and we have <laughs> a few good of yeah, them yeah yeah they might be if they have the right mindset. I'm sure they can. I've seen a few good ones, and I think they actually they can. Uh, I just hope their enthusiasm is not uh, squelched in the huge enterprises or killed. Uh, I don't know who said it, but uh, if you have dead wood in your company, either you hired dead wood or you hired dead wood live wood and killed it. So let's hope that there is some enthusiasm that they can create some enthusiasm here so we get people because they're turning them back from being just the feature teams into sort of product teams for example instead of hacking out features you want to create products for the, for the customer that is a kind of a flip for many people i think to, to, to sort of it is a it's more it's it's a cultural change uh, we actually discussed this uh, at my company or the company just recently and we see that this is going to be a huge change to many people it is because one of the things, and I think that was John Cutler Fisher last year published yep. that, right? That uh, you want product teams, but which means that mm. you're going to have CEOs everywhere managing their own budget. Because in the end, it's a product. And if you are a big mm. enough enterprise, you will also have competing products because this is how yes. it works, right? Exactly. Mm. That is a major, I major mean, that's change. Yeah, and that's probably where the huge companies like Amazon, probably even even more so Google, that they create all these products. There's products popping up everywhere, and some succeed and some don't, unfortunately. Like uh, Google Wave, for example, was a big thing. Everybody wanted Google Wave at some point. It just disappeared. But it's still there, but it's another product. So there, there's value in all this sort of going, going all over the place. But yeah, sure, you have to have a different um, culture in your company to allow for this. Indeed. Internal indeed. competition, definitely. Exactly, indeed. Mm. And um, we are running towards the end of the episode and we talk about hope. What is your hope for yeah. the next three years with our IT industry? Yeah. Uh, it's um, it's how to get, over, get out of your own bubble, I suppose. So uh, it's how to not say that I wish we could have more of the user in our head when we create stuff. And also that we can combine the user with the business. That is not either or. 
and it's not us on them, but we can actually UX and business people and developers to do with that, which can create the force want for products. They can all sit together. So I wish we all could work in good product teams. That would be my dream scenario. Okay. Okay. Let's let's check that in a few years where we are <laughs> and also what we contribute. And yeah, the, exactly. And the last question before we go. What are the resources, mm. books, podcasts, YouTube videos, blog posts that you recommend to our audience related to the topics that we were discussing? Ah, good question. Um, uh, there are there are actually a few, and uh, they they're gonna surprise some people. Though. Um, I'm gonna start off first and read everything by Umberto Eco. If you want to challenge your mind, the way of thinking, start there. That's to, just to start off with something that's not industry or in industry. Next. Uh, read up on system thinking um, and go beyond the obvious ones. Uh, I mean, uh, system thinking the system by 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 Maddox is good, but actually I got Akov's best book just recently and started reading that. So uh, anything if you come across anything by Akov, good, do that. Uh, when I come to podcasts, I like yours, of course. I have to say that I've listened to a lot of these. These are brilliant. Um, but if you want to move out again from the IT industry, um, I in my uh, I have a background from science, so I have a lot of uh, science shows that I listen to. Um, but I like the combination of humor and entertainment and science. So I really recommend uh, Infinite Monkey Cage with uh, Brian, uh, Brian Cox and uh, what is it called and a comedian uh, name salute me Robert Robin Ince Robin Ince. Uh, Really entertainment, entertaining, and also uh, I'm also uh, have have a keen interest in skeptical thinking in uh, the skeptic community, uh, and I move beyond the uh, the obvious like uh, the what is it, the the the, uh, the Loch Ness monster and all that silliness, but it's more critical thinking. So uh, look out for uh, the Skeptic's Guide to the Universe, which is an American podcast, which is really good. Entertaining, and also they dig into a lot of the biases that we have, uh, the logical fallacies that we make all the time, and all that stuff. So it's educational as well as entertaining. Thanks. I will make uh, sure that all of these resources are on the description of the episode. Also, your social media accounts will be there. So if cool. people felt teased about something that you said, hmm. That the war can start? Yeah, will be fine. reach out on Twitter. That's probably the best way to reach me and get into discussions. Yes, will be fun. <laughs> uh, yeah, and exactly. Thanks for being a listener as well and uh, thanks for your time to be with us today. Thank you. You can follow us on Twitter at S-Crafts Podcast. Visit our website softwarecraftspodcast.com or follow our page on LinkedIn. Thanks for listening. See you next week.